Good to see everybody. How's everyone this evening? Good, good. It's a good crowd tonight and excited about diving in. And we're going to continue to unpack and continue to go through this series that we've been doing. I actually reached out to Bill Loveless and said, Bill, I want you to come teach. He goes, when? I said, how about tomorrow night? This was yesterday. And, he, and I said, because I'm still, you know, I'm, I'm coming out, out of this thing. I'm on the backside of it, so I feel good. But it's just my voice is weird. And uh, so he called me this morning. couldn't do it. He woke up sick and feeling bad, and his stuff's kind of going around. And, and so he, he had to bail on me. So I said, man... I'll never call you again. You let me, you let me down. No, I, don't, I love Uncle Bill. So we'll have Uncle Bill back in the house soon because I, I love having him as a part of this. And by the way, we're, we're some of the first groups to actually go through this curriculum right now. And so what he's wanting from me and any of you as you continue to go through this, if you have any feedback, I mean, you're thinking, wow, there should have been more scripture in that chapter. There maybe, or maybe you thought of a scripture that would really fit right in that area. Jot a note in the margin there. He's very teachable and he wants this to be the best for everybody. So this is the first draft of this series. So anything we can contribute to him that will encourage him. And so if you come up with something, you see something, shoot me an email. So it's, it's jimmyp at bridgefbg.com, I think. Is that right, Russ? Bridgefbg. Bridge yeah, you can jimmyp at bridgefbg. So we've had to learn everything new. It's just all blur right now. Let's pray as we get started. I'm going to invite you to do something. Why don't you stand to your feet? Let's do something different and start off this, morning, this evening. One of the things I've been convinced of, I'll put it this way. When I used to attend church, when I was sitting in the pew or sitting in the chair and I was watching, I always wanted to, to leave with something. I never wanted to just go and then leave. I never wanted to just show up and then leave. Oh, that was a good sermon or a great study, whatever. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> so I always wanted to get something. And so I always loved it when there would be prayer at the altar, an opportunity to come forward, because there is something powerful about impartation. And the Bible talks about laying on of hands. It's all very biblical. But there is something released in atmospheres, and we are together in a unique atmosphere. And so um, a couple weeks ago, I think it was, or a week, last week, I, I had people extend their hand and say, if you want to receive something, act like you're going to get something, you know, act like you're on the process right, you're running down to the front or whatever, but just put out your hands and act like you're going to receive something. And I've had several people comment back to me on that, that that was really powerful for them, and they really sensed that they, they received something. And so never mind the screaming over there. We have students meeting next door, and they're just being students. So the, they, they get a little rowdy sometimes for Jesus. So put out your hands. This is just an act of faith, and I'm going to pray, and I'm just going to, by faith, release shalom, release peace. Uh, we did, I was all over San Antonio today uh, getting Faith's car secured and all that stuff with the wreck that she was in last Friday. And, and uh, it's always joyful in the holidays driving around San Antonio, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I had lots of opportunities to practice the one-minute pause while I was driving. I let go of everything and everyone right now, especially that guy in that Ford. So lots of opportunity. So I just sense that we need to, we need to receive peace. Shalom. Nothing missing, nothing broken is what that means. So let's do that as we start. Father, in the name of Jesus, we're here before you students. 
We're before you as sons. We're before you as daughters. And as we are before you, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, but also our friend. And Lord, that to know that the God of the universe would, would fellowship and, and enjoy communion with us, enjoy union with us, is just a mind blower. Thank you. We're here before you with our hands outstretched in faith. We're here to receive, Lord. We're here to receive what you would impart to us. And Father, as we continue into these, this holiday season, and we know that it's impactful for many people, and mostly in a good way. It's a great time of the year, and we celebrate that. We celebrate Jesus as the reason for the season. We're also mindful there are people hurting all around us, and seasonal affective disorder is a real thing. So we want to lift up those around us. But Father, we want to carry your peace. We want to be peace givers, peace bringers, that wherever we show up, peace is with us. It is a fruit of the Spirit, and what a beautiful fruit it is. And so, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus, we here with outstretched hands as just a simple act of faith, Father, I release peace over this amazing group of people tonight. I release your peace. I impart your peace. The peace of God that passes all understanding. The peace that guards and garrisons our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And by faith, I release that peace. And I would just encourage you, just right there, just say, in the name of Jesus, I receive peace. Just receive it. Just accept it as a gift. So, Lord, thank you for the fruit of the Spirit and the gift of peace tonight. Father, we open our hearts, our eyes, our minds, our spirits to receive from you not only peace, but wisdom and growth as we posture ourselves as disciples. We thank you for your word tonight. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen Amen and amen. You can be seated and just enjoy that peace. And uh, if you do have your book, we're going to be in chapter 8 this evening. We're continuing our series, Free to Love, and we're going to hit the ground running, and uh, we're going to break it up into two parts. I don't want to try to cover up too much ground. Uh, sometimes TMI is just TMI, right? It's too much information. And I feel like the topic and what we're dealing with here is so rich, I don't want to just rush through something. The goal is not to finish. The goal is the journey. Amen. And so if you would, turn to, in your book to, is anybody on chapter 8? Tell me what page it's on. What is it? 81. Thank you. 81. Great. Great. Yeah, because there's some things I want to read out of here, too, that are, I think will be really helpful. All right, let's get started. So um, week 8, we're, we've been taking our time getting through this. We've had a break or two in the middle of that. Um, but notice the scripture on the slide there, John 13, 34. Jesus says this, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. We know that's huge, and just that sentence is just loaded. It's stacked with truth. And when you think about how did Jesus love us, well, you know the old cliche, he stretched out his arms and what? He died. He gave his very life for us. He gave everything he had, the best that he had. So I want to read this from Dallas Willard. We've done this quote every time we've started, almost every time, but it's so good. Those of you who don't know who Dallas Willard, he was a pastor, teacher, very, for many years. He has 
tons of depth. If you like somebody like Tim Keller today, or Francis Chan, he was kind of the Tim Keller, Francis Chan of, of, of the early uh, generation before us, and extremely profound. He wrote a wonderful book called The Spirit of the Disciplines which was a great, great book on that. He says this, Our aim under love is not to be loving to this or that person, but to be a person possessed by love as an overall character of life. Now think about the difference, the implication of that. Love is not what you choose to do. It is what you choose to be or who you choose to be. I love that. It's not about coming to the unlovable and trying to love them. Rather, come to them as a loving person. Even God doesn't just love. He is love. It is his identity. And I have found myself in scenarios, in situations. We went to the uh, Christmas in Comfort last weekend. I found out there were 30,000 people in Comfort. I thought there would be 50. It's Comfort. And so we're like, let's just go have a casual evening with the grandkids in town. Let's take them. That'll be a sweet time. And we drove up, and there's police and cars and a parade, and it was incredible chaos. And, uh, and it was beautiful chaos. And in the midst of that, there were people, not everybody was friendly, not everybody was sweet, not everybody had the, the holly jolly spirit. So people cutting you, in, cutting you off in line, running in front of you, knocking you down around stuff. And, uh, and there's, there were some folks that were enjoying the, um, the spirit of the season a little too much, I think. You know what I'm saying. And um, so we're having a great time. No big deal. But I caught myself getting frustrated a little bit at one point, caught myself being a little judgmental. The very things we've been talking about. How many of you know if you've ever taught anything, you're the one who gets the first test? You get the biggest test, right? So here we are talking about love, and I had my opportunity to love. And uh, uh, even my family around me was kind of going, I can't believe I got just did that, you know. And I'm like, hey, hey, we're here to love. Let's love. And, and so I just started looking at people and just in my mind, I'd start saying, that's a beautiful soul. That's a beautiful soul. And I looked for the roughest, rudest, meanest, loudest, whatever, uh, and just said, well, that's a beautiful soul. That's a person for whom Christ died. And it didn't take but just a few moments before it switched my mentality. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And as I begin to think about them as being those for whom Christ died, it switched my thinking. It changed what was coming out of my heart. And ultimately, what was coming out of my mouth, I was saying, oh, look at that. Isn't that neat? Isn't that amazing? Wow, I didn't know we had a coffee house and comfort. I mean, just all kinds of neat things. And all of a sudden, the whole evening shifted, and it was a beautiful evening. Then we went into High Street Cafe. It's one of my favorite places. And we went in there, and I've gotten to know some of the people working there. and Got to say hi to them and encourage them, because they were tired. They'd been there all day. And just being able to ooze love, lose life, ooze Jesus everywhere we go. And my whole evening shifted only because I started thinking differently and applying what God is teaching us. And you could say, well, that's not that deep. It's actually a very simple thing. Bob Goff calls it a quarter turn. I may have shared this before, but he talks about and and how uh, in Italy, there are actually people whose entire life is dedicated to going down in cellars of these massive wineries where there's thousands and thousands and thousands of bottles that are aging 
And their sole job is to every day go down those rows. They do it systematically, and they give those bottles a quarter turn. And they go to the next. Can you imagine turning 7,000 bottles a quarter turn? And you do that for your entire career. So I would assume you have a lot of thinking time in that kind of job. But it may be a great thing, probably the most peaceful people on the planet. But I love the way Bob Goff applies that. And he says, you know, most things in life are not epic. They're not this big, massive 180 or a 360. They're just a quarter turn. And it was amazing how just applying what we're learning here was just a quarter turn in a moment. It was just a little thing. But it changed my whole attitude about the evening. And we left and just just excited and having fun. The kids had a great time. We had a great time. And it was a wonderful experience. But it might not have been how I have I not allowed what we're learning and what God's teaching me and teaching us together. Wait, I'm here to love. And I'm not here to just do love. I'm here to be love. Because if that's my father's identity, then it's my identity as a son, right? And so it was a powerful moment for me. So anyway, Dallas Willard. Love loves. I love that. John 13, 34. Again, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Let's look at chapter 8 if you have your book. And we're going to pull some things out of it. If you don't have a book, that's okay. We're going we're to pull this right out of the book. And in this, he's talking about the overflow of solical plaque. That's a weird term, but you think in terms of the kind of plaque that gets in your arteries. And gets in, in here and in here and how it literally, in a sense, gums up the works. And what happens with solical plaque, and solical being fleshly or carnal, not that the soul is a bad thing, but we're talking about behaviors and things that when we're trying to operate out of our own soulish life, our own flesh life, our own carnality, we're trying to be a Christian as opposed to allowing him to be the source of our life so that as he gives his life to us, he lives his life through us. That's the goal. The goal is yielding. The goal is surrender. The goal is, is lordship. That's what lordship is. It's surrendering to his lordship in our lives so that he is literally living the Christian life through us. And we're going to talk about that tonight. So we're going to talk about the overflow of solical plaque and then the source to remove the solical plaque. We're going to go a little into that, but we'll stop a little bit short because it's, this is important enough to spend a couple of times with, and I don't want to rush through this. So solical plaque is the carnality, and we'll identify that a little bit more, of that buildup and residue of the world in which we walk in. I used to say this, if you walk through a rodeo arena, you're going to get some stuff on your boots. You know what I'm saying? You're just going to pick up residue as you're walking around out there, and then it just gets all over you. And so the source removes solical plaque. So what is the toxic overflow of our solical plaque? Well, again, we'll define that in just a second. The toxic overflow. That's a strong word. Have you ever been in a relationship that you would say is toxic? Anybody here? If you have a pulse, you're in. It's happened. Maybe you were the source of that at some point. Myself, okay? We've all had our moments, right? But whenever you're in a relationship that's toxic, every time you get around that scenario or that person, that individual, it just brings up a bad taste in your mouth. It's bad chemistry. A lot of times when we're hiring folks, we look for chemistry, competency. We look for various things, the C's. But, but chemistry is one of those things. Do they fit in our culture? Will we, can we work together? Can we do life together? 
So chemistry is an important thing. Sounds a little bit like an intangible, but if you've ever been in a toxic relationship, it's very tangible. It tastes toxic. It feels toxic. It impacts your soul. It impacts your spirit. It impacts your mentality. When you're in a toxic work environment, it's just hard to go in. You don't even want to go to work. You'd rather stay. You look for reasons not to go in. You look for reasons not to be in because no one wants to be in a toxic environment. And so when we talk about toxic overflow, we're talking about how when life piles up and we've got this solical fleshly plaque gumming up the work, so to speak, so that the engine of our life is not running as though it's blueprinted and, 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 and running like it's supposed to on all eight cylinders. It's messed up. So let's talk a little bit about it and define a couple of things here. Not only does our solical plaque restrict the flow of Christ's love, because that's what we've been talking about building up to this, how it gums up the works, his love doesn't flow through us, it actually begins to be hindered, but it results in toxic overflow of fleshly feelings and behaviors. We'll look at some of what some of those are. So as the works are gummed up, we have an overflow of toxicity. The last thing I ever want to do or be is a toxic individual. And that's why there's this constant looking to him to say, Lord, Lord, is there anything in me that's not of you? I mean, David cried out in Psalm 51, Lord, see if there be anything in me, any evil way, any wicked way. Open, I open my heart to you. Lord, what's there that's not of you? I'm being distracted by that beautiful worship, I'm just saying. So just, just had to take a pause, a one-minute pause. Lord, I give everyone and everybody to you. So anyway, it's so good. Beautiful. So not only does our solical plaque restrict the flow of Christ's love, it, it's results, it results in toxic overflow fleshly. That's flesh, that carnal stuff, feelings and behaviors. Fleshly means that which is not submitted to or that which is independent of God. That's what it is. So listen to this. Unfortunately, the bad news doesn't just stop with the buildup of plaque in your own soul. There's a toxic overflow from areas of spiritual plaque which negatively impacts you and everyone around you. This is why I talk about when we walk and live with and tolerate disobedience or hidden sin patterns in our life. When we tolerate that stuff, we think in our minds and we rationalize, I know because I'm a human too, that this isn't hurting anybody. As long as this isn't hurting anybody, then why is it a big deal? No one knows about it, so it's not going to bother anybody. Well, here is the, here, that's not the truth, by the way. That's deception. That's a lie from the pit. Because here's the thing. When you allow and tolerate sin... And these behavior patterns in your life, besetting patterns in your life, you are actually diminished. Your capacity and your potential is diminished through which the love of Christ, the life of Christ can flow. Why? Because you get solical plaque buildup. And now you're not, your, your arteries spiritually aren't functioning at 100%. What if they're functioning at 70%? That means you're leaving 30% of your life on the table. We don't get all of you. We will never get the best of you. We'll never get the best of somebody who is allowing and tolerating hidden sin in their life and hidden behaviors because they are diminished in their capacity. Does that make sense? That's what solical plaque does. 
And so that's the bad news. It doesn't just stop with your own soul. It's a toxic overflow from areas of spiritual plaque, which negatively impacts you and everyone around you. You remember the old cliche, no man is an island? It's true. And you may think everything's hidden, but here's the deal. If I'm only getting 30% of you when God wants 100%, and all I know is the 30%, I go, man, I really like that guy. Have you ever thought about this and just in your own mind or maybe in a work environment or a relationship say, gosh, that guy or that girl has so much potential, but you never see it realized? Can you imagine what we leave on this planet that we take to the grave with us? in terms of potential and capacity, that because we never dealt with this solical plaque, we never allowed God to clean the pipes and clean out the works, and we leave it here on this earth, potential. Think about what we leave here, creativity. What about solutions for cancer, illnesses, heart disease? What about all the... That somebody, maybe God had designed that individual to bring the cure for something that would change the world, and yet they, they were never, it was never realized. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever walked through a graveyard and wondered about what was left, what didn't get realized? I do. When I do funerals, I'm in graveyards fairly often. And when I'm there, I look around and I go, I wonder what was left on the table that never got realized because they never gave themselves fully to their God, their design, what God created them for, what God created them to do. I don't know about you. I don't want to go to my grave not realizing my potential. My dad would say things to me growing up, and it, it would almost challenge me to do them. So I remember him saying one time we were in a, in a store. I was getting a trumpet or a cornet for a band. I was going to be a band guy. I love music, but I, okay, I want to learn music, so I'll just do this. And the band, I wanted to be a drummer because I was kind of a wild kid. And my parents were like, that's a perfect instrument for you, but keep it at the school. And then, but Miss Stack talked me into playing trumpet because she needed trumpet players. I didn't want to play trumpet, I wanted to play drums. I wanted to be a rock star. You know, eventually play guitar and all that. And she talked me into that. So I remember really being frustrated about that. So we went to Gent's House of Music in Lubbock, Texas. This is an old classic place there. And then Lubbock, sound, sound of music in Lubbock, all these different places. And I walked into these music stores, and I was just like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. I was like, wow. Just the smell of the place, just the sounds, you know, the practice room over here and somebody playing music. And I was enamored by it all. And I remember my dad. We were there to get a trumpet, actually a cornet. Remember those? That's sort of a wants-to-be-a-trumpet-someday kind of thing, you know. That's what you start with. Well, you start on recorder, and then you move up to the real instruments, right? Remember those? And so my dad, is he's gawking at the guitars. They have a wall of guitars. They've got lights shining down on them. And I'm just like, oh, you know. And he's standing there gawking at those guitars. And I said, Dad, what are you doing? This would have been the summer of my sixth grade going into seventh grade. And my dad said, I always wanted to learn to play the guitar. And I said, well, why didn't you? He said, oh, you know, life got busy. Y'all came along. Oh, blame it on the kids, you know. And something deposited in me that if my dad wanted to play the guitar and one of his great regrets in life was that he didn't play the guitar, guess what I wanted to do? 
So guess what I did? I begged my parents for a guitar. Yeah, a cornet, that's cool. I want a guitar. And so I was learning guitar and trumpet cornet at the same time. But that's the thing is he never picked up a guitar. But when every time we would go to the store, I'd maybe looking at an amplifier, looking for something, and always you know, wanting to get more stuff. That's the curse of being a musician. You never have enough stuff. You just want more. And, and so I would drag him into the music store, and he would stand there at that wall of guitars looking at it like, I wish I would have done it. Well, he had to be in his 40s at the time. Why didn't he just pick one up and try? But he didn't. And I think about that. What if he was the next Eric Clapton and we never knew that? What if he was the next virtuoso? What if, what if God had designed him specifically for that, but he just never got around to it? Can you imagine what's been left on the table in life? So me, the kid, I hear that, and I go, well, if he values it that much, and he regrets that he didn't, then I'm going to pick up a guitar and learn to play. And you know, I've never, that's not a regret I'll ever have in my life. It brings me joy every day. So anyway, what's been left What's been unrealized? That's the danger of solical plaque, is that we never get the best of who you are. Coach Bill, you see this with football players all the time, with athletes. You see the potential. You see it, but something in their character is keeping them from actually performing on the field. It's, they're so held back. They're withdrawn. It's, they can't ever seem to run it 100%. And you see it, and it frustrates you because you see the gold in them hills. You see the potential, but it doesn't get realized. It's a heartbreaker. It's a heartbreaker. I see it as a pastor over followers of Jesus, people who genuinely love God, and they want to serve God, they want, but they never quite get their legs. They never quite get past the solical plaque. I spent enough time on that, but I think that's important to realize God has assignments for us and I don't want to leave them to somebody else because I didn't step up. So it's like, God, what do you have for us? Jerry, you got something over there? Yeah, it just occurred to me, your other principle you teach us about, you leak out what you're full of, and I got a picture of that with the spiritual capacity idea about a vessel or a container, and the bottom of it's full of sludge. Yes. So that even if you're spilling out, you've only got 50% plaque. That's it. The, the works are gummed up. And so the idea here is how do we get to a place where we're free from that? We're going to get to that. So you hang in there with this. So, but what we don't want to see is that our own solical plaque is actually becoming toxic for those around us. Sludge, if you will. Uh, all that. So here's some key issues that make up solical plaque. So these are things, we covered these in prior chapters, but I want to remind you, these are the things that create this. False beliefs. Unbelief. That's different from false beliefs. False beliefs is that you believe something, but it's an error. And we'll, we'll look at what some of those are, and I think you're going to go, oh yeah, that's false. So, and then unbelief. Remember, Jesus couldn't do hardly any mighty works in his own hometown because of unbelief. Unbelief stopped the Son of God from doing many mighty works. Whoa. That's powerful. Unbelief is a powerful force in the wrong direction. Amen? Past wounds. How many of us are living with a bungee cord attached to 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago? And every time we start getting a little traction and getting some momentum, we get snapped back 
because something is still attacked. We're still tethered to the past. We're still tethered to that failure. We're tethered to that sin. We're tethered to that trauma. We're tethered to that dysfunction. And praise God, God is able to cut, and, but we've got to lean into that. So here's some others. Past wounds is the self-life, the flesh, me getting in the way, me trying to do it myself, the unholy trinity, me, myself, and I. Me, it's all about me, the self-life. How about this? Judgments we make about others. You know, we've talked a lot about this lately, so much so that whenever I start into that and my mind goes into that mode, ooh, the Holy Spirit throws up a, a yellow flag. I get a penalty flag. It's like, whoa, stop, stop. And I'm like, yes, thank you, Lord. Thank you for flagging me on that. 15 yards. No, I'm kidding. So judgments we make about others. Here's another one. How about taking up offense? This is huge. This is one of the biggest ones. It's what Pastor Dwayne Sheriff calls the Trojan horse in the church. Because we tolerate offense. Because we justify it. We feel entitled to be offended. And it's like a Trojan horse getting wheeled into the church. Parked there and we just welcome it in. Oh, it just feels good, looks good. I like gossip. I like to hear what's going on. I want to be in the know on everybody's stuff. And the Trojan horse opens up, and the enemy is just all over you before you know what's going on. It takes people out, creates toxic, toxicity. Question. Yes, sir? How do you deal with taking offense? How do, how do you deal? What do you mean? Like, fruit? sticks in your back. How do you deal with that? Well, I mean, Matthew 18 gives a pretty clear directive about if you're angry with or offended at someone, you go to that person. It's really interesting how, whether it's a church or the workplace or any place where there's hierarchy or authority or a boss or a supervisor or whatever, there's, there's always chatter, chatter in the ranks, so to speak. And I like dealing with it directly. I like just speaking into it. In love, of course. I mean, because here's the bottom line is, the goal is never to be punitive. It's always to be redemptive in nature, especially as followers of Jesus. We want to see people win. We want to see people elevated out of that. Nine times out of the ten, most people that are offended at you are not really offended at you. They're, something you said or did is a trigger to their past. It's a trigger to a, to a hurt, a damage, to something that is a trauma maybe that they've experienced, you've just pulled the trigger again. You happen to be, it's on your watch. And I've learned that. And what happens and what helps me, just to, just to be real clear about this, is to take a step back and depersonalize it. How do I pull myself out of the situation? Go, wait a minute. They said they're upset with me. They're mad at me. They didn't like the way I said it. They misunderstood something. How do I depersonalize? Well, you take a step back. And one new thing I've learned is, is the one-minute pause. Father, Jesus, I give everyone and everything to you. And I just let go, release it. So that's a practical way that I can do it in a nanosecond. But in reality, I mean, when, when you get that, and being a senior leader, it's just, it is just comes, you want to be a pastor? Let me just tell you something. You better have thick skin and just get used to people being offended. Just get used to it. It's just, it comes with the territory. We're calling people to step out into new places. Sooner or later, it's going to hurt somebody's feelings. Uh, just a comment. It's, it's really easily, um, like recently I was in a group of people that the group was offended. Mm. 
And so people were feeding off of pe Ooh, other people yeah. being offended. And it's interesting to take a step back and to be the one person to rise up and just say, hey, let's take a second right here to reflect on the person that good, we're being offended at or right. upset with and maybe think about what they may be going through. And it was interesting because it's a complete shift. Oh, good word. Great, Brittany. We 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 have a term for that, and we, we talked about this two or three weeks ago about seeing people in three D. In other words, don't just see them like this at face value for what's just happened. There's something behind that. What is the bigger story going on? And so that's what y'all did. That's excellent. There you go. There you go. Y'all talk that out. That's excellent. That was great. That was great. No, but that's exactly right. When you see people in three D you find out there's a bigger story going on. And there's always, in, in all of our lives, there's multiple stories, right? It's like, it's like watching This Is Us. There's like 15 storylines going on at the same time. You're like, wait, where were we? What year is this? And it's just your, it's, that's just life. And so when you see people in 3D, it means you're seeing the story behind that story and realize, okay, there are reasons that happens. There's reasons that person felt that, interpreted my, my actions toward them, or not even toward them, just in general. So it happens. And uh, there is a sense where you, you do take a step back. You've got to step back to get a bigger, better perspective. Because when you're in it, it's the old, it's hard to see the forest for the trees, you know, when you're right in it. But to take a step back. So anyway, great question, great answer, great statement. And so, uh, so taking offense. Another one... And the word offense, by the way, it literally, the easiest way to remember it is a fence. That's what a fence is. Offense is a fence. It's a, something you trip over or stumble over. Uh, Jesus was called the rock of offense, that they stumbled over him. They tripped over him. That's what offense literally is. Self-protection, we spent a whole chapter, a whole week on this because this was really important. But this idea that I've got to protect myself because no one else will, especially God. He's let me down before. I don't know if I can trust him because I can't trust any father figure or authority figures in my own life. I've been let down, disappointed, so I have to protect myself. And we have a golden question around here, remember? How's that working for you? Yeah, so self-protection, we become hardened. And unfortunately, we become hardened to love. And we're, again, this solical plaque builds up toxicity. So some key issues that make up solical plaque. So taking what we just said, I'm going to unpack each one of them very, uh, not too in-depth, but just a little bit of a flyover here. False beliefs. A false belief that my sin is so great that God can't love me may leave me with fleshly feelings or behaviors of frustration, self-condemnation, or unworthiness. You do know you're your own worst critic, right? Or am I the only human standing here? Um, that self-condemnation. But it's a false belief that my sin is so great that God can't love me. I, and I've, had, I've lost count in the years being a pastor, sitting with someone in a, in a discipleship slash you know, conversation, and then say, oh, pastor, you don't understand. God can't forgive me for that. I'm like, really? You crawled into the mind of God, and you know how he sees you. 
No, sir, you're interpreting your own self-hatred right now. You're, you're struggling with your own, your own frustration. You're mad at yourself. So, I mean, that's, that's real common. But to say that somehow we have sinned so big that God can't forgive, man, I just take you back to Judas at, at, the, at the last, you know, that moment when Jesus said, all of you drink of it, all of you, all you partake. I mean, Judas was about to commit the biggest the biggest sin, the ultimate betrayal of Jesus. Yes, ma'am. Pray for what? Okay. Okay, well, let's pray right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, we lift up Donald Trump, his family. We pray for him. Father, even your word encourages us and commands us to pray for those who are in leadership and those who are in authority, that you, Father, place those in authority. And Lord, that's one of those, it's a mystery for us. That goes in my mystery box because I don't always agree with those who are in authority in our country. And I've seen through the years just different aberrations of that. However, that's not my call. My call is to pray. So we lift him up, and Father, if, if and where there is danger, uh, imminent danger around him, we would ask, Lord, that you would literally place around him a garrison, not only in the natural, not only in the natural, but in the spiritual. And Father, I don't know his total position on faith. I know he gives lip service to it and, and has said some things off and on, and he meets with evangelical pastors. But Father, I pray for his heart his heart and his mind, he would truly know Jesus in the deepest, most intimate way. And that it would be so transformative that no one would ever wonder. And so we hold him up and we do pray for protection. We pray for wisdom, the spirit of wisdom to be on him and his team and those that are around him, his advisors. And we do ask for a hedge of protection to be placed around him and his family. And we ask this pray according to your word in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. amen. So false beliefs. Um, that my sin is so big that God can't forgive me. And I've heard that so many times through the years. In fact, there's probably somebody in this room struggling with that right now. I've got really good news for you. Really good news for you. God's shoulders are way bigger than you think. God can handle God has seen it all, been there, done it all. God came and put himself in an earth suit and moved into the neighborhood. He is on the move. And so I want you to know something. On your worst day, in your worst moment, God didn't love you any less than he does on your best day, in your best moment. That's the love, the consistent love of God for you. If God be for us, who can be against us, Romans says. If God be for us, you know what that is? God is for us. Amen? If God was against you, your heart would not even be beating right now. You would have been thumped off the planet a long time ago. He loves you. He loves you. This is a false belief, and I call out the liar in the name of Jesus. Don't buy into this. Don't buy into this. Don't buy into the mentality, oh, I've been passed over. 
Well, God worked for them, but why hasn't he worked for me? Listen, there are mysteries. If you don't make room for mystery in your life as a follower of Jesus, you're going to live a miserable life. It'll be a miserable Christian existence because you'll wonder why in a room somebody gets healed and you don't. Somebody's family gets a break and you don't. Somebody got a promotion or a job and you didn't. Somebody got blessed and you didn't. They seem happy and you're not. And if you have that mentality, it will lock you into a toxic place. And you'll constantly be questioning God's motives. Questioning. That's not trust. Trust is a, is a mentality of hallelujah anyway. Do you hear me? Hallelujah anyway. We're about, to, we're about to hit the ground running at the end of January. We're going to do a whole series through the book of Philippians, and it's called Hallelujah Anyway, and it's finding joy in the darkest days. It's, it's how do you shout hallelujah when you're in a bar ditch, to put it in West Texas terms. How do you shout hallelujah when you're, you're on your last leg? This is it. It's doable, family. It's doable. And so these false beliefs are toxic. And look at that. Feelings of frustration. Why not me? How come this isn't working? Self-condemnation. You're a masterpiece in the making. God's working on something with you. You're a work of art, according to Ephesians. And that he is doing something amazing. And how, how can we constantly put ourselves down when he created us? Amen? He's got something to do. He's not done yet. You're still in process. Praise God. You're not a bad person. You're just not finished. You're not a mess. You're just not finished. He's still working on it. Amen? You got a heartbeat? There's still hope. He's working on you. Amen? It's a good thing. Man, throw that false belief in the tank because it, it's, it's a lie. Unworthiness. Wow. How can we say that we're unworthy when Jesus himself came to this earth and died for us? For God so loved you that he gave his only son. You. You. I've heard this before. If you'd been the only one on this earth, he still would have done it. I think it's consistent with the love of God that I see in the word and the scripture. He would have did whatever it took to provide you an opportunity to be reconciled to him. Amen? Amen? So worth, wow, what is worth anyway? What is value anyway? I'm telling you, the enemy has done a number on people to destroy their self-worth. But at the end of the day, my self-worth doesn't mean anything anyway. It's what's God's worth? How does he value me? Not, not what do I see when I look in a mirror. What do I see when I read the word? When I see the Bible that tells me who I am. I love that song by Cody Carnes. Uh, it came out a few years ago. I am who he says I am. I am who he says I am. And brother, sister, you are who God says you are. You are who this Bible says you are. He says you're pretty amazing. He says you're a son. You're a daughter. He says you're holy. He says you're blameless. He says you're above reproach and unaccusable. He says you're worth dying for. <laughs> Even better than that, you're worth his resurrection. He, you're worth him living for. Dying and living. You're worth that. So don't, don't believe the mirror. Don't believe the lies. Don't believe the, the chatter. There's always going to be chatter in our world. Amen? Amen. So, everybody good? May I have something?
Amen. I heard an amen. All right, so here's one. Here's another one. How about unbelief? So you've got false beliefs, and now you have unbelief. Yes, sir? Can we back up? Uh, sure. Under false belief, where do you take the theological errors that are just not wrong and right according to Scripture? And, that, and that's, isn't that the danger, though? And it's because if we've not studied to show ourselves approved unto the God, rightly handling the word of truth, the word of life, then we can get led down a path of error. And I remember there was a book came out a number of years ago, and everybody was going crazy for it. Christians were reading it, and turned out she was like a New Age uh, priestess or something that had written this book. But it was so closely aligned to Scripture and their language, and, and she gave a tip service to God and to Jesus in the book. So people thought it was a Christian book. And I mean, people were buying into a hook, line, and sinker. And I remember reading a few... Uh, like a chapter of it, and I was going, I was like, oh, this is amazing, wow, wow. And my wife said, that is heresy. <laughs> she threw the hammer down. She's got a prophetic bent in her. And she was like, that is not true. That is not the word. And I just said, oh, God, I just made me fall more in love with her that moment. It's like, thank you. Thank you. I mean, I was, I was going, wow, this is amazing. This is interesting. This is fascinating. She said, this is a lie. Turned out, it absolutely was heresy. If you have a question like that about a preacher or someone, anybody, look it up in the Bible. That's it. Go to the Word. Listen, I love my phone. I love my, I love gadgets. I love my iPads. I love all that stuff. But there is something that's, that's pretty powerful when you learn to read your own Bible, where you, you can find things and you know where things, you've written notes in it. In the digital world, it's a little hard to mark things and note things and put a date in there. And there's something about having your own Bible that you read, that you mark, that you, it becomes your workbook for life. It's not just a, a digital piece. Yes, sir? Absolutely. You learn. You study. And that's one of the things that I, my passion is the biblical languages. That's why I love to unpack and why I probably go overboard sometimes. But I, we have to know the word. And then we have to learn how to work the word, right? What is it? It's, it's a tool for us. It's useful for correction and training and righteousness and rebuke. It's, it's useful. And that's what it's for. So it's a beautiful thing. Yes, sir. <laughs> That's scary. The Pearl's uh, question the same way Treasury agents were taught how to recognize counterfeit yeah. dollar bills. They got so familiar with handling the truth, the real thing, that when they saw a fake, they could tell the difference. Yeah. So familiarity with the truth yeah. was the answer we got a while back. Yeah, that's right. Uh, when Annette was in banking early on, I don't know if they still do that, but when she was young and in banking, they taught her, they, she handled real money. And they had, they had counterfeits, but they wouldn't let her touch it. They said, no, you don't need to know it. You'll know it when it comes through your hands. And that's how they taught them how to recognize counterfeits. It felt different, had a different texture, because they couldn't, those counterfeiters couldn't replicate the texture of the, of the fabric of the paper. I mean, it's, it's amazing. There's a whole science into that. And, uh, and she said, sure enough, as a young teller in a bank, when things would come through, it'd be a question. It's like a flag would go off, like, wait, this doesn't feel right.
And when you're reading the scripture, if you know the word, you're not going to chase some heretic down a dark road. And that's what I see in a lot of churches when people get off the rails theologically. It's because they are not themselves familiar with the scripture. And I have to tell you, I'm so thankful for my, my heritage as a young Southern Baptist uh, in seminary and in grad school. You know, I am so thankful that they were, they, were, they were strong on the word with us. And then my journey in faith took me into another stream or pool of belief called the word of faith. And the word of faith movement for all the things that maybe I, you go question about and you know, wonder about that. I, they such a value for the Word of God and the Scripture, which I'm so thankful for. And so I've taken from my heritage and from my journey and said, you know what? If it doesn't line up, then we we need to be asking hard questions. Amen. We really do. So great, great. Thanks for pointing that out. It's wonderful. So unbelief. You don't believe God really loves me. If I don't believe God really loves me, I might have fleshly feelings of rejection, depression. Might you will? I mean, I'm just. If you don't have this settled in your heart and that revelation has never dropped for you that you are loved, you will struggle with these things. Rejection, depression, fear, and the list goes on and on and on. Because, I mean, if all that we have is the fear of God, that we're just terrified that if I make a bad movie, if I'm not a good little boy or a good little girl, that I'm going to get a whooping, that I'm just going to get spanked by God, that I'm just going to get chastised and disciplined and, and act like he's a taskmaster. People believe that. I think for me, because I came to faith a little bit later as an as a 18, 19-year-old, and I'd been down so many dark roads by that time that when I finally stepped over the line, I was met with grace. I was met with the love of Christ. I was convinced. It's what, what made me believe was when it dropped for me that God loved me so much that he allowed his son to die for me. That became a reality in that moment. Well, you don't go from that and somehow graduate into fear or into legalism or into just doctrinal purity. You, what, what? I came to him by grace through faith. Not through faith by grace. You keep them in the right order. I came through grace, and faith was a result of that grace. He poured his grace out on me. It produced faith in me to believe. And so I come by grace. That word by, present participle, in, with, by, for, it's all of those. So I came through Christ. I came with Christ, by Christ. All of those are accurate. And because of that, Faith came. And so for me, introduced to Jesus, I wasn't afraid of going to hell. Man, I was singing about it with ACDC. I'm like, ah, way to hell. I mean, I was, had that rocking in my pickup on my 8-track. Come on, somebody. Come on. Hey, I was in the Columbia Penny Club. I mean, 11 cents. I had like 100 8-track tapes. You know what I'm saying? My mom was like, you did what? <laughs> I owe how much? Anybody else do the Columbia House thing when you were kids? What a deal! <laughs> so anyway, yeah, surprise mom, I, I did send that in. <clears throat> it only cost me 11 cents. But 
So I was, I was on that. I mean, I was, I was that. I was, yeah, yeah, I'm going to go there with all my friends, you know, and we're going to party down, you know, for eternity. And, and so that was me. So the love of God, when it captured my heart, it just rocked my world. And you know what? That was, I was 18. I turned 58 in January this year. It is still, it's more precious to me now than then. It was awesome then. But even through the years, it's actually gotten sweeter. Because then when I knew better, then when I had him in my life and I still fell and I still missed the mark and I still cratered, his love and his grace met me every time, every time, every time, every time. So to me, it's still by grace through faith. And it's the love of Christ that compels us. Amen? Still, to this day, it's love. Well, because of that, I don't run around wondering, am I okay? Wondering if I'm going to make it. Wondering if, if, what if, what if I get there and Peter's waiting at the gate? And he just says, no, you, you, you just had too much fun. You, were, you, had, you, were too, you enjoyed that life too much. You love people too much. You let people get away with stuff. You really? Do we think that's going to happen? But there are people that have this mentality that it's, it's, we're getting in by the skin of our teeth. And it's only through beating our bodies down and, and walking in, in, in moral rightness and holiness. And that's the only way we're going to earn God's love. Really? Really? Wow. No wonder they're beat down and depressed and angry and bitter. I look around this room. I don't see bitter old folks here. I see people who are full of life. I see people who've not accepted retirement as their lot, but they've accepted refirement as their call and their purpose. We're refiring this generation. Amen? Amen. You've got a pulse. You've got a purpose. There's still a promise. And God's love is beating in your veins. His love is flowing through you. So you're not done yet. Amen? Amen. The proverbial larger-than-normal lady is not sung yet. I'm trying to be PC on that. No good way to say that one. You still, you've got a purpose. You've got life. You're not done. Amen? Isn't that beautiful? So, all of this, this rejection, depression, or fear, only because of unbelief. It's because I don't trust. I don't believe. So, let's, let's land a plane on a couple more. Key issues that make up. Here's another one. Woundedness. Oh, man. We've talked a lot about this woundedness, brokenness. It's like an open sore that never heals. I know it's very gross and graphic, but it's really, that's, some people live with that the rest of their life as though that is their lot. That is, that's just the cross I have to bear. I'm going to continue to be haunted by this tragic thing, this trauma that happened to me when I was 12, when I was 13, when I was 30. And then every time they talk about it, they choke up in the pain of it. They relive it every time. Do you really believe that's God's desire for you? The Jesus, I know, said something in John chapter 10, verse 10. He says, um, the thief comes only except to do these things, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He says, but I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Another translation says, to the full. That means overflowing. That means living life out of the saucer, not the cup. That's my Jesus. Is that yours? So guess what I'm all about? 
I'm not all about what's being stolen, what's being destroyed, what's being killed, murdered, cut short. That's demonic. That's of the enemy. I'm about what Jesus said, life and life more abundantly. So I don't know, so I'll end with this, and we'll pick this right back up. So Annette and I had a big, huge discussion at lunch today, and it was, what is our one word for this next year? Have y'all thought about that at all? Did y'all do that last year? Last year, our word was discovery and freedom, and because we're married, we get two. So we're, we're doing a tandem thing, so it's our two words in a sense. So last year was discovery and freedom. And man, it was a great year of discovery and freedom and enjoying our freedom in Jesus. Oh, it's so awesome. We laughed a whole lot more. So this year, we're kicking around those, those words. And one of the words, I'll go ahead and give it away. I don't know if this is, we're just kicking it around right now and praying and thinking about it. But she brought up, she wants the word uh, encounter. She wants to experience the presence of God the power of God, the Spirit of God in a deeper way, and in, in a way that captures the spirit of encounter. She wants an encounter with Jesus. She knows him through the Word. She knows him through her prayer time and her driving in the car time and her church time and all that. But she wants an encounter with the living Jesus. So isn't that a good word? So I think we're probably going to roll with that one. And then I brought up fun. She thought, well, that's not real spiritual. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. It's the second fruit of the Spirit, joy. Why, why not have fun in Jesus? Is that not life to the full? Is not that not the abundant life that Jesus talked about? Or, or does abundant life just mean you're just not as mad as everybody else? I mean, is it all relative I think there is an expression of joy and life that he wants to explode through his children. And I want, I want to be a test case. I'll be a guinea pig, Jesus. I want to laugh more. Don't you? Don't you want to live up in a down world? Don't you want to shout hallelujah anyway? I've got a great story about being in a bar ditch. I'll tell that when we do our Philippians thing. But there's a point where you've got to shout hallelujah in a bar ditch. Anyway, no matter what's going on. So be thinking about your one word. We'll end with that. Be thinking of what is your one word? What's a word that captures your heart and your desire for the next year? Last year, ours was freedom. That's why I put it on my arm. And discovery. We're learning new things. We want to try new things. That, that comes down to food. It comes down to places, travel. It comes down to life and what has God created for us in this world that he says, I've given this to you for you richly to enjoy? I mean, so that was our last year. And here's the thing. Once we go into a new year, we don't forget the last one. You know what I'm saying? We got a whole load of these things. We have them all over our house. So what would be your one word for the next year? Think about it. Pray about it. I'll bring it up between now and then several times. And just think about it. Does, does God have something for you about the next year? And if he does, what might that be? So we're going to end right here, and we're going to pick right back up on this um, uh, when we start and we come back next week. Now, on the 18th, mark your calendar for December 18th. That is the annual uh, uh, Fredericksburg Church Walk. Okay? Have you ever been to the Church Walk? I have. I played guitar with Russ one time for it. It was really sweet. What it is, it's the four main churches downtown, Bethany and 
Holy Ghost. There's, there's four of them right around the downtown area. And um, what we do is we gather at one church, and there'll be a choir, or there'll be a worship team, or there'll be somebody leading some music. There'll be a pastor giving a devotional. And typically, the pastors of the four churches don't do the devotionals. So I'm going to do the one at Bethany Lutheran. Pastor Casey was here this weekend. Did y'all get to see Casey? What a, what a sweet brother. He just wrote me the sweetest letter and following up on that. What a sweet brother. And a kingdom-minded man of God right there and, and becoming a real friend and partner in the kingdom. So I'll be speaking at Bethany uh, during the, the church walk. But it's on a Wednesday night. It's the 18th. So we won't meet here. I would ask you to go to the church walk. Take your kids. Take your family. It's a really cool thing, a really sweet thing. Uh, I'll get some details on where it starts and basically, you spend just you know a few minutes, 15, 20 at each church. It's four churches. And then you're done. It's a sweet time. Huh? I don't know yet. I'll get the details. We got a little time. It starts at Bethany this year? That's, oh, maybe it starts and ends there, maybe. Because I'm, I'm speaking last. So I'm thinking. I know I'm, I'm, the, last on the, I'm the last stop. So... There'll be nobody or everybody. We'll see what happens. It's going to be fun. I'm, it's a beautiful thing. Like I said, we, we did the music for it one year. It was super sweet, super sweet. And let me tell you what it is. Besides just being a really, really make you feel good evening with you know, Christmas and whatnot, it's also very kingdom. It's us fellowshipping with other churches saying we really are one church here. We are one. Isn't that beautiful? So as we close tonight, first of all, Mac, Liz, so good to have Mac and Liz with us. And uh, they were actually supposed to be gone by now, right? And then they had an emergency situation, which uh, seems to have turned well. Your father's doing well, doing good. Did they get on a plane today? Wow. So they were talking about a two-week recovery, and, uh, and then boom, he's good to go. So was it a hip replacement? or? Partial hip replacement, can't out of nowhere kind of thing, and so the the blessing for us is we get to see you guys a little bit longer. When are y'all heading back? Tomorrow morning. Tomorrow morning. Zero dark thirty. All right, all right. Well, let's all stand together. We'll be dismissed tonight. Father, we thank you for the privilege of looking into your word, and Father, teaching us. Thank you for Bill's work, Bill Loveless, on this. On this curriculum, as we move through this, Lord, we want to not just do loving things. We want to become love. That is our identity as sons and daughters. Your word even tells us in First John, God is love. And that's, that's our hearts, our desire. And we know that sometimes there are things to peel back and peel away. And Lord, I'm asking you to do the deep work. We want the trajectory of our life to be changed. Father, I'm asking as a favor, would you give us new categories of experiences in you, uh, to use Annette's word, encounters with the living Lord that will have new categories, new, new experiences, new encounters, new, new ways to know you that maybe we didn't know before. So we're asking for that as sons and daughters. And Jesus, we declare you are the reason, not only for the season, you're the reason for our lives. And we're grateful. And Lord, we do lift up Mac and Liz as they make their way back. Father, bless them. Encourage them. I pray that them getting time around us has just been life-giving for them and encouraging for them. And Father, as they continue to 
so into to their hometown where they are now and the church that they're a part of. Uh, Father, would you give them such overflow that, uh, that there would be no, um, no solical plaque at work. They would be free-flowing and that as they're there, Lord, there'll be things coming up and out of them that are profound and helpful and prolific and impactful for the context that they're in and that church there. Encourage and bless them, Father. And Father, tonight we're mindful that uh, Melissa Hughes continues in her battle. And so we lift up Melissa right now as a church family. And Father, we speak into that. We speak life over her. We speak against the liar and the deceiver. The scripture calls the devil a murderer from the beginning. And we come against that spirit. And we stand for truth, for life, for wholeness, for shalom. We impart and release shalom over Melissa and Chuck and Seth. And Father, we present our request to you. Say, let our request be made known to you. We ask, Father, would you heal her? Top of her head to the tips of her toes, would you heal her and eradicate cancer out of her body in the name of Jesus? Father, we love you. We pray as though it depends on you, and we trust you knowing it depends on All right, We pray as though it depends on us, but we trust you as though it depends on you. So, Lord, we're partners in this, and we co-labor and cooperate together. And so we love you, and I pray for my friends here. Father, give us grace to rise above the seasonal affective disorder. Give us grace to not be brought down, but to be lifted up in this season as we celebrate Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Everyone said, Amen. Amen. Love you. Love you so much.